Before we really get into the message today, there's a couple things that I just want to remind us about. And I've reminded you about this before. I'm going to remind you about it again. And the first thing is that we are a congregation, not an audience, right? That we have a role. When we come together to worship, it's not just about what's happening on the stage, but this isn't a solo, it's a symphony. Everyone has a part to play in it. And that's the way that worship as the church works together, that we are all engaged. Now, I also believe that we as a church, we have a calling and a responsibility to our city. And the fact that our church meets in a school, it just puts this right in, in the middle of our, our, our target of what we're going for. We want to make a difference here. And this is one of the reasons why we, we've made the jump. We've hired a youth pastor. We're pushing youth ministry forward because we want to have something great and inspiring and impactful for our kids. But we want to reach kids who, who don't have any connections to church yet. Because we believe in reaching people. We also believe in investing in the next generation. Raising up young leaders is so important to what we do as a church. And so today, uh, before first service, a really sweet lady paid me an awesome compliment. She was very generous. She walked in and she said, Paul, are you going to give another great message today? And I told her, no, I am not. <laughs> and she's quick. So she said, oh, someone else is going to give a great message today. I said, you got it. You're right. And so we have brought on staff with us our, our youth pastor, Drew Lang. And I believe that you're going to see a gift that's inside of him. And I think we're going to get to see that grow through the years ahead. But I want us as a congregation to be ready to do our part as he delivers the message. When he tells a joke, whether you think it's funny or not, you laugh at it because you're going to encourage him, all right? When he says something and he gets passionate and you can see his heart pouring out with the message, you give him an amen. You give him a let's go. You give him a let's, that's good. You, you get ready. You keep him pumped up because this is not just a show. This is a gathering of worship. And I want you to feel like you can take credit for him preaching a great sermon. All right. I kept that boy pumped up. I kept that boy engaged. I kept him on task. And I know that he felt good about the message he delivered because we gave him good feedback because we encouraged him. We want to raise up young leaders. We want to encourage them as they chase after God's will for their life. And so, Drew, come on out here as he comes. Let's stand and let's welcome him to the stage. We love you, man. We're so proud of you. Thank you. Thank you. Well, uh, for those that don't know me, hi, my name is Drew Lang. Uh, I am a tall, skinny, white guy. Uh, I love food and I'm, I love ping pong. Like, it's the best sport ever. Better than football, I know, sacrilege. Uh, oh yeah, woo. But uh, before we get started, we have to give honor where honor is due. Uh, I've been working here for about six weeks and I am so impressed with who Pastor Paul is. I've learned so much already under him. So can we just give it up for Pastor Paul, for our leader? I love you, man, I love you. And then secondly, um, I, you know what, I thought that maybe just saying some random fa facts about me, you, like you would know a bit about me, but I mean, I got to show you some people that are important in my life. So can we put that first photo up there? That's not a photo. That is most definitely not a photo. Okay, so that's not my family. Uh, that's just a picture of them. Uh, but if you just, that, that's my dad, that's my mom, and those are my two sisters. And look, I'm just going to say it. 
I got the best family. They not only look the best, but they are the best. And you can find me on that one. I'll, I'll fight you on that. Uh, but in all seriousness, though, uh, I am so proud of being uh, related to my mom, my dad, and my sisters, uh, especially my mom, my dad. Uh, they made me into who I am today. And I know for a fact that if it wasn't for them and for all their years of prayer and getting on me when I wasn't cleaning things or being organized, I wouldn't be here today. So uh, thank you, Mom, Dad. I am so glad that you did not kill me in ninth grade when I was doing random things. Uh, so, but can we not only give it up for them, can we give it up for all the parents here? Because you guys don't get praised enough. So if you're a parent, give yourself a hand. Like, there you go. Now, if you can't tell, I'm a really loud, skinny white guy. Uh, so if I happen to say something that you like today, you can say, amen, which is church speak for that's good. Now, if I say something that's really good, you can be like, that's good. And like, look at me and point at me directly, but like, keep it within reason. You know, we're civil here. We don't have to go crazy. Everyone good? Everyone cool? Awesome. Let's pray. Dear Jesus, thank you for this opportunity. And above all else, I pray that we focus on you. It's not about me. It's not about the worship. It's about you, Jesus. Amen. It was September 2014. I just turned 18, and I was so excited because I'm an adult, and I can do what I want. I'm a man. So I was thinking, how can I celebrate being a man and being an adult? And I had a great idea. I'm going to take me and my three closest friends. We're going to go to Bush Gardens, and we're going to live it up. So I tried to convince my parents of this, and I said the most infamous phrase ever. Mom and Dad, what could go wrong? And notice that when you say what can go wrong, a lot goes wrong, right? <laughs> well, you know, it was fun, and I, I like roller coasters to some extent. I just don't like, you know, the drops, but I like the loops and all that stuff. I'll tell you what I don't like, though. Put up that second photo. That is not a roller coaster. That is a death trap, okay? <laughs> this is not cool. We need to arrest the guy that made this. The, the, like, like, there's no. Just no. Why would you do This isn't fun, okay? But... I didn't realize this, but as we were going to Bush Gardens, Bush Gardens released the brand new drop coaster called Falcon's Fury. And my friends know that I'm not a fan of this. So they're like, Drew, you got to go on there. You got to go on there. You got to do it. And I'm like, I'm a man. I'm 18. I got this. Just watch. And I'm saying that as I'm getting in line, I'm like, I got this. I got this. I got this. You got, I got this. I got this. I got the. I don't got this. <laughs> I don't, and it starts going up and going up, and and it, it, it keeps going up and, and and up, and you didn't tell me it was this high, man. It, it, it goes up, and I didn't realize that I just happened to set foot on the tallest ride in Bush Gardens, 230 feet. We get to the very top, and I look. I'm a good Christian, okay. I start praying to God that I get a coma so I don't have to experience any of this. I'm like, Lord, if you, if you are there, please just knock me out right now. Like, I'll understand. I'm totally fine with that. But it didn't happen. Kind of, still kind of bitter about that. But what I didn't realize is the height is not what makes Falcon's Fury Falcon's Fury. Oh, no, no, no. These sadistic people made a ride so devious that when you get to the top, the seats rotate to your death. You're staring at your death. Now, I, I'm legit, like, praying, and, like, I'm sliding kind of out of my seat in the harness, and I'm looking at my friend like, you Judas, you betrayed me. How dare you put me on this ride? And the ride drops, and I literally die. 
the end. No, I, I'm kidding, I'm kidding. I didn't die, I'm still here, ha ha ha, very funny. But in those four seconds, I saw my life flash before my eyes. I'm pretty sure I saw Jesus at the cross, too. Uh, it was the worst thing I've ever experienced. I got off, and I'm like, How? I'm never calling you friends again. You are terrible people. Why did I choose you to come with me? That makes me dumb. What am I doing? And then I had a moment of clarity. I was safe the entire time. I wasn't going to die. And I realized, like, Bush Gardens is really good at their job, so they test those things a lot. You're probably more likely to get struck by lightning in Florida than to actually have an accident on these rides. So I was freaking out about nothing, okay? I was fine. And not all that, but I was strapped in. And at 230 feet, you'd actually rather be strapped into those rides than, I don't know, not being strapped in. Because if you're strapped in, they're designed to be safe. They're designed to take you down to the ground. Now, when you're in it, you don't feel like that. You feel like death. But as you're falling, you're safe. Like, the guy at the bottom knows that. He's not some random carny. He's, like, he got you. He got you. What are you strapped in this morning? Because if you're strapped into the wrong things, some things are designed in life to help you, and some things are not. You may be strapped into those drugs. Drugs are not designed to help you. You may be strapped into Jesus. And no matter how crazy it gets, when you're strapped into Jesus, you can get through the night. Cool? We're going to be talking about being strapped in today. And my reference verse is Psalm 23. It was actually the very first verse I learned and memorized. So we're going to be talking about Psalm 23 in the ESV version because that's the one I memorized. If you don't like that, well, too bad I'm preaching. Uh, So, Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He guides me in paths of righteousness for his namesake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Woo, that's a good scripture. And that's actually my favorite one. I mean, I, I learned it first. Uh, when we hear things like shepherd, sometimes we don't necessarily know what that means because we don't see a lot of shepherds in the United States of America. Well, a shepherd's job was very simple. It had to protect sheep. Now, sheep are not really known for being smart at all. So, a sheep does what it wants to do. Now, if it was a good shepherd, if a shepherd was really good at its job, then the sheep had everything it needed. If it was hungry, the shepherd would lead it to a new pasture, and it would get food. If it was thirsty, the shepherd would lead it to water, and it would drink. And maybe, the sh- maybe there's a bear that came out. And in the Bible, it actually says David was a shepherd. He was King David, and he was a shepherd of sheep. A bear came out, and he killed that bear. So if anything comes against the sheep, the shepherd got it, Okay. If a shepherd is good, the sheep has nothing to worry about. But the sheep isn't necessarily the smartest animal in the book. So sometimes the sheep sees grass on the side of a cliff, and it's like, I want to eat there. I know I see grass everywhere else, but I want to eat next to the cliff where I might possibly fall off. Now, if the shepherd is good, it will see this. It will go over to the sheep and be like, what are you doing? Pick it up, and then carry it all the way back. Now, the sheep's probably dumb, so it probably did this a few times. So, you know, the guy probably goes back and picks up and puts it back. But if the sheep was really dumb and really kept going back there and being rebellious, this is a legit thing. I'm not making this up. 
the shepherd would go to the sheep and literally break its leg. And I'm not kidding about this. And then it would lift it up onto its shoulders. And the funny thing is that as the leg was healing, the shepherd would always be carrying the sheep, and the sheep would grow such a bond with the shepherd that it would never really leave it again. So the rate of, like, if you broke the the sheep's leg and then did that, the sheep would almost always follow the shepherd. Now, here's the thing, okay? That's cool, but I kind of relate to the sheep because the sheep sees things that it wants and it does things that it wants. And I'm the same way because sometimes I'm hungry, I see Chick-fil-A, and I want Chick-fil-A, okay? Or I want sweet tea, and I'm getting sweet tea. Or maybe like, you know, I want a cool jacket. I bought a cool jacket. But here's the, here's the real thing, okay? If I see something that looks nice, and it says sale, I no longer want it. I bought it, okay? I'm buying it. Now, the funny thing, though, is that I don't necessarily relate to the first verse because the first verse says, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. And it's probably better translated as I have all that I need. Now, wants and needs are two different things. Ask any parent. There's kids that want things, but they don't necessarily need things. Mom, I want five sodas. You don't need five sodas. Mom, I want an Xbox. Eh, Xbox are cool, but you don't need an Xbox. So we get things that we want and we get things that we need, and they're two different things. And the funny thing is that sometimes we get what we need and we get angry at God because it's not actually what we want. So here's the question, okay? Because I realize this. Sometimes I get frustrated at God because he gives me what I need and it's not what I want and I get angry. But what I realize is deep down inside, I just didn't view him as my shepherd. Like I say I did. I, I preach I do. I'm a pastor. But sometimes he gives me what I need and I am so against it. I am so rebellious against it. I guess I don't see God as my shepherd all the time. So my first point is, how do you view God? As your shepherd or your servant? Because the way that you view God is actually going to determine how you take what he gives you. If you view him as a shepherd, then even if you get what you don't want, you know that it's actually probably for your best interests. Maybe somehow God's going to work it through. So you can trust him and believe him because he is a good shepherd, as it says in the Bible. But if you think of him as a servant, then anytime you get anything, it better be exactly what you want. And the moment that you get something that you don't want, you fire him because it's not actually about him, it's about you. Which one do we struggle with? I know that oftentimes I just think think of him as a servant. I just want things. And then I get really mad at God when the God who created me knows more than I do. Sometimes I act the wrong way in that sense. Now, in verse 2 and 3, it says, He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. Have you ever seen a sheep being led by a shepherd? Let's say there's a herd of sheep right here, okay? And, you know, they're doing their thing like, bah. And they want some water. And now the shepherd knows over this hill is water on the other side. Now, the sheep doesn't see that. All the sheep sees is a hill with grass. So they're thirsty, and they're like, bah, give me some water. And the shepherd's like, just get over the hill, and I'll get you some water. And the sheep's like, no, 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 you don't understand. That's just a hill. That's not water. And the shepherd's like, if you just listen, and you go over the hill, you'll get some water. How often do we look at the hill in our life and not trust that God's taking us the right way? How often do we look at that hill, and we're so convinced There's nothing over there. And God's like, just trust me and keep going. Because maybe he has our best interests. 
Maybe he's leading us beside still waters. Maybe it says in the passage, he restores my soul. And it says in verse 3, he guides me in paths of righteousness for what? For his name's sake. And thank God for that because if it was about me, we would have failed a long time ago because I'm not that cool of a person in reality. I might look cool, but I'm not cool. Thank God that he doesn't help me because I'm a good person. He helps me because he's so great. He doesn't want to love me because I got everything put together. In fact, he saw me for the broken mess that I am. He's like, I choose that. I want to love that. He sees you for who you are, and he wants to love you because he's just that good, because he's a good shepherd, and he gives us all we need. And will you accept that today? Or will you do what I do sometimes and say, I want, you don't give me. I guess I don't want you. Which one are you? In verse 4, it says, Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Now, that sounds like very, very nice poetry, but it's completely one thing to say that you're great and you trust God and everything is good, and it's completely another thing when you say you trust God and everything's falling apart around you. Am I right? It's one thing to say, God, I trust you with my finances when you're rich. It's another thing to say, God, I trust you with my finances. When you're broke and you have a bill coming and you don't know where the money's coming from. It's one thing to say, God, I trust you with my marriage. It's another thing to say, we're getting a divorce tomorrow. It's one thing to say, God, I trust you with my family. It's another thing when you've been praying for your kids for 10 years and they still don't care about you. They don't care about Jesus. And you're like, God, like, I trust you, but my circumstances don't look at, like, I I have faith. Why am I walking through this valley? But it says in the verse, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me. So my second point is, do you view him as he is with you or he's left you? Because the way you view that will determine how you respond. If you think that he's left you, then every little small detail that happens against your plan becomes an earthquake. And you don't even know if you're going to make it tomorrow. But if you view him as he's with you, as the scripture says, then no matter what happens, even if it's an earthquake, you can walk through because he is with you, because he will never abandon you, because he's the good shepherd, because he has given you everything you need, because he is leading you to still waters, even if it seems like there's a hill in front of you. So how do you view God? Now, maybe for you, you're like, God, you know, I don't have a lot, but I have my health. And then when that health leaves you, You're like, how can I trust you? Now, here's one thing about that. I understand that very well. Because one day, I came home from third grade, and my parents were gone from the house. And I'm like, this is weird. My parents love me, and they're always here. Why are they not here? And I was walking around and trying to figure it out, and it turns out my my parents were in the hospital. And my mom's in the hospital for a week, for two weeks, and I'm wondering what's happening, and the doctors just don't know what's happening, and it's kind of weird and scary when the person that's supposed to know what's going on doesn't know what's going on, and you're like, what in the world's happening? And then we get the diagnosis. My mom contracted Guillain-Barre syndrome, which is an autoimmune disease, and it, the body views your nervous system as a virus, so it eats itself, and you don't even realize it's happening, and then one day you wake up and you can't move. How do you tell your kids that you're probably not going to see your mom again? We're not going to have family time the same way. Things just aren't going to be the same. How How can you be told by your dad, like, everything's going to be okay, but you can tell, like, he doesn't believe that? 
how can you how can you be told that your mom might die or never be off of a wheelchair? Like, how, how do you process that? How, how do you process that? But here's the, here's the crazy thing. The one thing I know through all of that is that God never left me through any of it. No matter how crazy it was, no matter how crazy and scary the valley was, he was walking me through it. So it may look like hopeless, it may look crazy, it may look like nothing may ever be the same, but here's one thing I know. I know who my God is. I know who I serve. So I got nothing to fear. Even if it seems crazy, I got nothing to fear. I'm preaching good today. Come on. So, Here's a big question. What happens when God leads you into a valley that doesn't fall in your plan? Do you trust him? Or is he your servant? And you're just trying to get as much out of him as you can. I, I pray to my heart, to my deepest heart, that I do not view God as a servant, but I view him as a shepherd that he is. Worship band, you can come back up. Here's, here's the crazy thing, though. Maybe, maybe your problem isn't necessarily that, like, sickness or financial problem or anything like that. Maybe it's just something simple. Maybe it's God promised you something here, and you're over here, and it's been, like, years, and nothing's happened yet. But the craziest thing I know is that in Genesis, there's a man that's called Abraham. He's 80, and at 80, God promises him to be the father of many nations. Now, the dude's 80. He has never had kids before. Not only that, but as he's promised that, he waits 20 years until he actually gets one kid. So one thing I know, though, is that throughout the time in the Bible, he was never left by God. So even if you're promised something and it doesn't seem like it's going to come through, God's still there for you. He's still leading you. He hasn't left you. It may seem like he has, but even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Now, you want to hear that in a practical story? Let me give you this one. Joshua Chamberlain was a Union general at the Battle of Gettysburg. And he was told to defend the South Front, and specifically the hill of Little Round Top. And from this hill, you could see all the movements of the Union Army. If they lost this hill, they could be attacked. And the battle was practically on this hill. If they lost this hill, it was the battle. And Joshua Chamberlain didn't have many men. He didn't have many options. But he took 300 men and he went up there and he defended that hill with his life. Now, the Confederates saw this, so they sent a wave of people and the first wave was repelled. The second wave was sent and it was repelled too. Now, before the third wave happened, Joshua Chamberlain, as a good general, he looked around as men. They had no ammo left. They were tired. They ran out of food. And if he realized that if he got attacked again, he probably wouldn't make it through the night. Now, what would you do in that situation if you were him? Like, what would happen to you? What's crazy is he didn't retreat. In fact, he orders a bayonet charge to an army that's 10 times bigger than him. Now, that's kind of crazy, okay? You don't bring a knife to a gunfight. And that's what he did. He charged bayonets to guys with muskets. But the crazy thing is that he won the battle. 300 men defeated 3,000 people and captured 100. And in popular folklore, someone asked Joshua Chamberlain, were you afraid when you charged? And his response stuck out to me. He said, I knew what was behind me, and I knew who was with me, so I had nothing to fear in front of me. If you know what God's done behind you, 
and you know that he's there with you, then you have nothing to fear in front of you. If you know that he's taking you so far and he is a good father and he hasn't failed you yet, then why in the world would he fail you now? If you know that he's taking you through cancer, then why in the world would he stop now? If he know that you've conquered every single thing in the past, then what's stopping him from conquering it right now? Woo! Do you trust him? Because at the end of the game, at, at the end of the day, that's what it is. It's do we trust God? Do we trust God? And in verse 5, it says, You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. Sometimes God leads us through the valley of the shadow of death, but he's walking there and he wants us to be there so we can grow and become greater than we ever thought we could. So if you view your valley as something that can only hurt you, you're missing the beauty of it because the valley actually makes you better. It doesn't get you bitter, it gets you better. So what does this mean for all you guys? Simple. Maybe you're struggling, and you don't know if you're going to make it through the month. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me. Maybe you don't know if you can make it through the week. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me. Maybe you don't know if you can make it through tonight. Maybe you're contemplating suicide. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. For he is a good father, for he is a good shepherd, for he provides for his sheep, for he gives us all we need, for we lack nothing in him. Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Jeremiah 1.20, I knew you before you were formed in your mother's womb, and I set you apart. And if he's that good, then what do we have to fear? The only thing we have to fear is indifference. So what about you? What will you do today? Let's pray. Dear Jesus, thank you for this moment. And Lord, I pray that what we consider here does not stay here, but we take it out there. Lord, I pray that it will never be said of us that we are so focused on ourselves and stardom that we never loved anybody, that we never helped anybody. Lord, I thank you that no matter what happens, no matter what we're going through, you will be with us. And that's a fact. Amen. So good. So good. I trust that you're encouraged today. I trust you're excited about what God has in store for the youth ministry in our church. For, for what we believe much further down the road is one of our future church planters. Uh, we, we believe God's going to do amazing things um, through this church and through the leaders that he's raising up in this church.